0: Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy. I'm Paul Krimmer. I'm a cardiovascular imager here at the Cleveland Clinic, Uh, and today it's my pleasure to uh, be speaking with Dr. Hiba Wasif, uh, who's the head of our cardio rheumatology and immunology center? Um, so, Hiba, I, I, you know, you know, I think this is this is a great center, um, in part because it encompasses so many different types of patients, and and the underlying uh, commonality is the role of inflammation in their disease. It may be a patient who has a systemic autoimmune disease with cardiac in- involvement, or it may be a patient who has an abnormal immune system with primary involvement of the cardiac or vascular uh, system. Um, but, but maybe speak a little bit to uh, the types of patients um, who can be seen uh, at the Center for Rheumatology and Immunology.
1: Well, thank you, Paul, for the introduction. Um, a lot of patients, I mean, it's a broad spectrum of patients that can be seen in the center. Uh, patients with any underlying rheumatologic disorder, and again, the, the wording is, is variable, whether you use the word connective tissue disorder, autoimmune connective tissue disorder, or rheumatologic disorder. But it's primarily patients who have underlying autoimmune disease, and rheumatoid arthritis, lupus erythromatosis, dermatomyositis, ankylosing spondylitis, psoriatic arthritis. Um, and of course, from the immunologic side, we're talking about the sarcoid, uh, pac- patients with sarcoidosis. Um, so that is just kind of a sample of patients that can be seen in the cardioreumatology center. And whether they're seen for prevention, that they, they're they trying to assess their risk for cardiovascular disease, because we know patients have a heightened risk for cardiovascular events with any of these disorders, or they're under treatment for another condition, whether it's a valve disorder or if it's a myocardial uh, disorder or if it's a pericardial uh, 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 disorder. So it's a variety of conditions for this specific population of patients.
0: That's great. And so, yeah, it really covers uh, a lot of patients um, who have inflammation um, mm-hmm. uh, systemically or primarily involve, uh, involving the heart. Um, but just to kind of hone in on on a couple examples, I guess, just say if, if you're seeing a patient with lupus, what, what kind of things come to mind um, in terms of cardiac involvement, um, and what kind of testing, you know, may that patient need if they come to see you in the clinic?
1: So lupus patients are obviously uh, they're uh, at a very high risk for coronary artery disease. Their risk is is up to not, not in some studies up to 19 folds, and I'm not trying to scare patients, but it's somewhere between two to 19 mm-hmm, fold mm-hmm. increase for cardiovascular risk compared to other populations that don't have uh, lupus. So I would probably would screen them for um, atherosclerosis, mm-hmm. maybe a, by a coronary calcium score uh, or a stress test, depending if they're having symptoms mm-hmm. or they're not having symptoms, uh, but certainly maybe a coronary calcium score trying to re- to assess uh, their risk. Um, I'll probably get an echo mm-hmm. looking at their valves, mm-hmm. uh, particularly that these patients also have a higher uh, prevalence of valvular disorder. Um, and it also depends on what symptoms they're having. But those would be the, my two basic uh, tests to do for our lupus patients as I'm seeing them in clinic for the first time.
0: Okay. So they're, they're at increased risk for atherosclerosis, for cholesterol buildup in the, in the coronary arteries, and also at increased risk of, of valve problems. Um, what kind of valve problems do you see in these types of patients?
1: So the leaky valves. They, they are more likely to develop leaky valves than to develop Tight valves; they're also more likely to develop uh, what we call marantic endocarditis, which is f- a form of um, a vegetation or a thickening of uh, uh, of their valves, mm-hmm. which is related to inflammation.
0: Okay, and um, and then of course, if the patient is having symptoms, there'll be more directed testing uh, b- based upon that. Be it be it a stress test, but that, that would of course warrant um, uh, further further evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how often do these patients n- need to be seen? Um, you know, you, you talked about about the risk. Maybe speak to, uh, the, 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 is, is there a, a longitudinal follow-up that's really necessary here for optimal care of the patient? It,
1: um, it depends on what the, uh, which kind of problem we're dealing with the patient. So if it's just for screening and cardiovascular risk, they probably will need to be seen on an annual basis. Um, it depend if they have a valvular condition depending on the extent of the valve disease whether it's seen on annual basis or um, or spaced out further depending on the severity of the valvular disease if they're being managed for heart failure they may mm-hmm. be seen more frequent than that so the frequency depends on what they're being seen for mm-hmm. um, so but I do think that there has to be some longitudinal care with a cardiologist for patients with um, rheumatologic disorders.
0: Right, and I think an important part um, of having expertise here related to the longitudinal care is really the collaboration across subspecialties. You know, we have sort of have used uh, cardio-oncology as our model, mm-hmm. where we have specialists who really understand the therapeutics and their complications. Um, and so maybe speak a little bit to, um, in cardioreumatology, kind of understanding how the drugs work, the benefits, the side effects, and um, yeah, really collaborating with the patients, rheumatologists, and uh, be it here or locally and and their local physicians um, to provide optimal care in these complex patients.
1: As you know, I mean, the drugs are changing at a very rapid speed and there are more drugs that are coming on the market for treatment of inflammation than we can even keep track of. most of the drug management is by with the rheumato- with the rheumatologist that's mm-hmm. caring for the patient, but there are some cardiovascular eva- like side effects for some of the drugs where that's where we we play an important role in trying to manage some of these uh, side effects. But also interestingly, some of the drugs also have some beneficial effects for reducing cardiovascular risk, and uh, we may have talked to. Uh, before about uh, methotrexate, which is mm. a drug that is a very old drug, not even a newer drug, that has been used um, in patients to decrease inflammation and has shown um, effectively in in many studies uh, that it does reduce the risk of cardiovascular events. Whether that should be prescribed or like from by a cardiologist or not, I don't think that that's what we're talking about
0: here. Right. But I, I guess one thing that does come to mind in terms of cardiovascular medications is really understanding. In some of these patients who are prone to getting blood clots, knowing what kind of you know blood thinners they should be on and at what levels, we've certainly have seen um, you know that overlooked or perhaps the wrong medication prescribed for some of these patients, not understanding really how. Some of these patients can can clot so much and really have difficulties difficulties with. And them. you're referring
1: to, obviously to patients with uh, lupus anticoagulant, right, These right. are patients that are have a higher risk of, of clotting and, and management, and we certainly would be more than available to kind of understand how to handle uh, their anticoagulation.
0: And I think that is also a very important point, and, and ties into when these patients get valve disease. And and as you said, I think the. The follow-up there really depends on, one, how bad is how bad is the valve? Mm-hmm. And two, how bad are the symptoms? Um, and when it does come time to needing valvular intervention... What do you do? What, you know, what do you do? And you really mm-hmm. need that expertise. Uh, and again, the, the team-based approach with a surgical team to make sure you're having the best outcome for the patient.
1: And then the follow-up after they've had their valves and... and- how closely and we're talking about how close do they need follow-up where it depends also if you're starting to see that the valve is not looking as good as you would think you think then you need closer follow-up so it won't be once a year it may be even every six months depending on what the situation is so the choice of the valve and then the follow-up after the valve replacement
0: absolutely and and as you talked about at at the beginning um the the underlying diagnoses for these patients are so broad. Um, So I was just thinking of of the patients who present for surgical valve disease. There's also the patients who have uh, an aortitis or a vasculitis, uh, which is, again, being primarily the immunosuppressive therapy being managed by the rheumatologist, but often need experts to kind of inform the the appropriate timing uh, of intervention for aortic surgery as well.
1: And then understanding the outcomes after their surgery mm-hmm. and what, how the impact of these therapies are on the outcomes of the surgery later on. And that's an area that's not all fully understood. I mean, there are very few studies that have looked at outcomes of patients, but there are more and more coming out. We actually have looked at not on our titus, but just valve replacement in patients with um, connective tissue uh, disorders. And in our study, at least, which was a national looking at national data uh, set, there was no difference in outcomes, which was a bit of a surprise, um, knowing that these patients are immune suppressed. But that's where knowledge is power, and we need to understand m- more what's happening uh, with these patients and what their outcomes
0: are. Yeah, cert- certainly more research is needed, um, but it also just speaks to uh, the lifelong care for these patients that... that um, it really shouldn't be. Oh, you've had you've had your intervention. Now you can just be followed like any other patient. You really need to to, to specifically understand uh, their underlying conditions and and the specific risks they may have.
1: And it's a lifelong risk as long as they have, continue to have active inflammation.
0: Absolutely. Um, so I think you know I'll, I'll switch gears a little bit. We've been focusing on the patients with uh, systemic autoimmune disease or systemic auto-inflammatory disease involving the heart to patients where the heart or the vascular system may be the primary problem. Um, And obviously, there's a lot of overlap here. I mean, we've been talking about, um, in terms of the valvular disease, uh, the lupus patients. And certainly some of our worst patients with pericarditis. so that is who get inflammation of the lining around the heart, um, are patients who have lupus. Um, But... Uh, Most of the patients with pericarditis uh, don't have an underlying systemic autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. Um, However, we're beginning to think more and more that they do have an autoinflammatory disease. Uh, And some of the drugs that had been used decades ago for rheumatoid arthritis have proved to be game changers for us for pericarditis.
1: Which is a game changer because we used to say that most of these are viral or related to viral Uh, pericarditis, and that's a very change of paradigm for how we think about patients.
0: Right, and and I think that there may have been an initial viral insult, but in terms of the recurrence of the attacks, it's clearly driven by an abnormal auto-inflammatory response. So the body's innate immune system uh, attacking itself, and um, similar to to what's been done in in rheumatology for a long time is really looking for steroid-sparing therapies. Um, So I think in in pericarditis, we now have that um, with the interleukin-1 antagonist. So for patients who have recurrences of inflammation of the lining around the heart, um, we now have therapies that are highly effective. Um, There's also certain patients who have inflammation of the heart muscle. So some of those will have an underlying autoimmune disease. Uh, Some of them won't. And we're still learning a lot uh, about the best treatment uh, and follow-up for those patients as well. Um,
1: it it certainly is an an evolving field,
0: evolving field and really relates to all aspects of, of cardiovascular medicine, even, you know, bread and butter, coronary atherosclerosis, which we thought we've, we've understood very well. Um, there's clearly, uh, patients who have inappropriate innate immune response with coronary artery disease as well. And and in the future, we may have, may have treatments that specifically target the immune system uh, for those patients also.
1: Absolutely, and we've it's been tried previously in coronary artery disease, and there was an impact, but it's always about the risk of infection as well with these medications.
0: Right, right, and I think with some of the newer therapies, um, you know, we're figuring that out, but 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 the the risk of infection seems to be seems to be quite low, uh, and and I so I think you know just to conclude, I think that this is really. Um, A new frontier for us as cardiologists, you know, frankly, I think we've been behind uh, some other subspecialties in medicine in terms of just appreciating the role of the immune system in cardiovascular disease. And
1: I 100% agree with you. This is an evolving field and we're, we're learning a lot.
0: Excellent. So certainly more to come. And it's thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheartpodcast.